Well, good morning. My name is Scott Schindler. And before we get started, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that as we go through this series on joy, Lord, that uh, you would position our hearts and reorient our lives towards joy. Lord, one of the main themes of the Bible, but that it often gets overlooked and we often don't think of the Bible or a theme in the Bible being joy. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd fill us with your spirit this morning, God, that you would position our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is Choosing Joy as an Act of Worship. Choosing Joy as an Act of Worship. And I just want to take just a minute or two just to kind of recap what Sean said last week. Just a couple statements that I felt like were, man, those are so good. Those are, those are key, but we need to let those sink in, right? You know, during a sermon, man, you can hear things and just be like, oh, oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. And so I just want these to sink in because they carry over into this week and probably the rest of the series. Um, But one thing that Sean said is joy is the lens through which we see the world. Man, I think that's so huge. And I'm going to kind of touch on that a little bit later with a couple statements. Man, you'll kind of see the the theme uh, throughout Scripture and throughout what I'm going to say as, man, just a lens in which we should view the world. Second thing he said is some people are joyful, just to make that distinction, some people are joyful, but that doesn't mean it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? And Sean is one of those people. Okay, my son, Micah, is one of those people. He wakes up smiling, right? No matter what happens, he's just kind of this joyful child. So his disposition is joy. That's not the majority of us, okay? If you know Sean, anybody, t- anytime somebody says, hey, what, what's Sean like? You go to MCC, what's your pastor like? I say, man, on, on, he's like Santa Claus, right? Some of you have heard me say this before, but he's like Santa Claus. That's the best way for me to describe him. He's just kind of this jolly guy right? Uh, And so some people, or very few, are dispositioned that way. That's how they're wired. But that doesn't mean it's a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that they have this disposition or that they even look to the world or at the world through the lens of joy, through the lens of Scripture. And so one other quote that that I love about joy, uh, just to make that distinction, is joy is not an emotion, Okay, the highs and lows, it's not an emotion, it's an overall condition of the heart, meaning it's the kind, and man, let this sink in, it's the kind of people we become through discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. So over time, hopefully, we become people of joy. Hopefully, over the course of 10 years, 15 years, over the course of your Christian life, you can look back and say, man, I'm more joyful. I'm more thankful. I'm more filled with gratitude. I'm more overflowing with joy than I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think that's the kind of people that God wants us to become. So again, it's not an emotion. It's an overall condition of the heart. And now, Choosing joy, or that title, choosing joy, being commanded by God to choose joy, might sound off. It might sound confusing, like, hey, we can't command ourselves to be joyful. First of all, we're Americans, so we don't like commands. We don't like being told what to do. Sometimes, even if God comes to us and says, man, rejoice in the Lord. 
Our reaction is, well, I'm not feeling that way, or our American disposition is not that way. We're prone to complaining, especially in the last, really in these last two years, right, with everything that's going on. But I'm just going to quote just a couple psalms that kind of just command. There's hundreds of psalms that I could choose from. But just two really quickly. Psalm 33, 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. So there's this command to sing joyfully to the Lord. Okay? Psalm 59, 16. But I will sing. Okay? Notice that word, but, there's a transition there. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Verse 17, you are my strength. I will sing praise to you, my God. Are my you, God, are my fortress, my God in whom I can rely. So, again, we see these commands that we are to be joyful and that we're to rejoice in the Lord. Now look at this. I'm just going to quote a couple uh, statistics really about rejoicing and being blessed, being happy. There's a ton of kind of language that goes along with commanding your soul to uh, be joyful as an act of worship. But look at the word rejoice. It's used just a little under 200 times in the Bible. So this command to rejoice, just a little under 200 times we're commanded to rejoice. And, and uh, the word blessed or to be happy, be happy, blessed, blessed are you, right? Happy are you or be happy in God is used just a little over 300 times. Praise the Lord. Check this out, 480 times, something like that. Uh, that phrase, praise the Lord, or praise be to the Lord, is used 480 times. Give thanks to the Lord, 91 times. So these commands that we're to be happy in God, that we're to rejoice, that we're to worship, that we're to sing, man, to be joyful, there, there's a ton of commands, hundreds of commands in Scripture to rejoice. Here's the thing, though. For a lot of us, if you're like me and most Americans, most people, um, our disposition is not joy. There's a few people that are oriented like Sean, even though we talked about, man, joy is not a, it's a fruit, not a disposition. But most of us don't choose joy. Most of us aren't joyful people, right? We allow certain things in the way, and we're going to get to that at the very end, certain things that come in that can steal or rob our joy. So what I want to do is just kind of just briefly share with you my journey with joy, okay? My journey with joy. So if you know anything about me, man, um, I kind of had a radical conversion at age 21. Uh, I was kind of had this Apostle Paul moment where I was really radically saved out of the party scene, drugs, alcohol, everything. I was really delivered from a bunch of these things, um, a horrible lifestyle. And Man, I got saved. And, you know, I would describe the first six months of my life as joy. I would describe, or some kind of language like that. Like, man, I was one of those people, man, I couldn't shut up about Jesus. I would just, I would wake up and just be like, oh my gosh, this Jesus guy is real. 
this is crazy. This Christian life is real. And I just had this innocence about me of like, man, just walking with God. I don't know anything about the Bible, but I know Jesus is real. Started reading the Bible and stuff. And I started getting involved in a college ministry. And after about six months, man, my joy started to be robbed to where honestly, six to nine months into my walk with the Lord, dude, it was honestly gone. And it wasn't the ministry's fault that I was starting to lose my joy, but what was preached, so I w they wouldn't say that this is what they were doing. This is just how I perceived it, um, the Christian life. And one of the scriptures that was just kind of hammered into us in a really good way is Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Okay, now I grew up so that this kind of this culture that was created, even though that was biblical, the culture that was created amongst myself and my friends was that, you know, kind of these classic Christian cliches where it's like, hey, man, how you doing? Man, just suffering for Jesus, you know, just, you know, sinners saved by grace, man, just chief of sinners, man. But, but thank God for the grace of God. And those are true, right? The grace. Of, thank God for the grace of God. But we just would walk around just, oh, just trudging for the Lord, man. Just bearing my cross, carrying my, denying myself, you know. And it just created within me a lie that like, man, that this Christian life was, was almost like a problem. And it was almost to the point, if not to the point, that man, feeling any sense of joy was almost sinful. I'm not supposed to feel that way. Self-denial deny pleasures, deny the things of the world. I even had a roommate that, you know, we, we kind of walked this out together for a couple years and he loved backpacking. The problem is, is that he just gave all that stuff away that he enjoyed that really God gives us for our pleasure and for our enjoyment. Man, he just like gave all his backpacking stuff away. I don't want to do that. And then two years later, he's like, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. Man, because backpacking for him going in the mountains, walking 15 miles on a trail every day. Man, he experienced God's goodness, God's pleasure. But man, he, you know, he regretted it. But that's kind of the, the culture that we kind of grew up in. And that wanting to be happy, we felt like was almost like this moral defect. This self-denial meant renouncing all joy, all pleasure. And so that's opposite of what the some of the scriptures we just read, some of the things that we are going to look at. So this idea of happiness has been portrayed, I think, for myself and honestly, a lot of people as sinful. But what if, so this is why I just kind of want to turn the corner and ask some questions. What if the desire to be happy isn't the problem? What if the desire to be happy is actually put in there by our Creator. What if it's actually a prerequisite to becoming more like Jesus? I mean, who wants to hang around with a grumpy person? Who wants to hang around with somebody who's just constantly downcast? No one. We want to be around people that are full of joy. They, they bring us up, okay? So think about those questions. Now, after coming to the end of myself, I was invited to a, a church planting conference up in Mars Hill. 
uh, when Mars Hill existed with Mark Driscoll, and John Piper was there. And John Piper is a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist, but he's a Calvinist. And so I actually went there for, to, to, as I listened to him, I went there to just kind of listen and hear him out because I'd heard kind of like, ooh, Calvinist. Our church that I was attending wasn't Calvinist, took his books kind of off our bookstore shelf. And so I was really curious about this guy. And, uh, you know, he didn't, he preached a little bit of Calvinism in his message. But first of all, I'd never seen somebody preach like that. I mean, the guy was just exploding with passion. You know, when you hear somebody and you're kind of like, whoa, man, I feel like something's missing in my life as I listen to that guy. Or, or like, man, I wish I was as, as passionate as that guy. Not, not that we try to emulate somebody or, oh, I want to be like him because God's created us all differently. But there was definitely something within him that I'm like, man, that guy's filled with a passion and a zeal for the Lord. And so while I was there, I picked up this CD back then, it was a long time ago, a CD that had John Piper's eight best or you know, most powerful messages. One of them in there was called A Quest for Joy, and it absolutely ruined my life in the best way, right? So you think about my story, my disposition, and this sinful attitude that I had towards joy, you know, renouncing self-denial, having this kind of poverty theology in every way possible, and then all these ups and downs, right? I mean, I, you know, I'd go to retreats, I'd go to certain conferences, I'd go, and so I would have these moments of joy, but then I would come down and just kind of fall into this Ugh, mentality. And I remember sharing the gospel with a guy, and I knew there was something wrong. Because when I was sharing the gospel with this guy, I made Jesus sound depressed and depressing. What I was preaching wasn't good news. And so when I hear John Piper kind of correct my theology, and really not just John Piper, but the scriptures, man, that he just ripped off amount, about the amount of scriptures on joy and rejoicing, how God commands it. It kind of rocked me at first because I'm like, wait, maybe some of the way you guys responded when I first started talking that, man, you can't command, God can't command me to rejoice. It has to be this feeling, it has to be this emotion. But then, man, I I just started reading the scriptures and really searching out a lot of the stuff that John Piper was, was teaching to find out if these things were so. And man, and man I just started to, to, to realize that, man, this idea, this command to rejoice, even when I didn't feel like it, man, there was some power in there that, that man, that, man my, that my inner life started to change over, honestly, over a short uh, amount of time. And uh, I just started to really saturate myself in God. And that was what John was pointing people to. It wasn't just this fact of like rejoice and try to be happy, but rejoice and be happy in God, that the actual joy is coming from Him. Again, it's not a, an emotion, but it's this overflowing out of the inside, this overflow of a relationship. And so he just kept pointing people to God, in God, in God, in God. And as I started to kind of lay down these lies and try to, in a, in a sense, practice joy, practice, you know, the classic verse in Psalm 34, 7, delight yourself in the Lord, that, that, that man, for the first time, I was kind of given permission to really do what the Bible talks about. I mean, that's all that most of what the beginning of John 15 is about. 
Abide in me and I'll abide in you, Jesus says. This idea of living in him and he'll live in us and out of that flows life. And, and man, I started to experience this and catch on to this idea that, man, I don't have to walk around with my head, head held low and, and even thinking that that's a Christian thing to do. You know, but what do you do when life is full of disappointment? Right? So I could talk about these things, command your soul, commands to, to rejoice in the Lord, but what do you do when your life is full of disappointment and pain and unresolved mysteries of life, right? Tragedy, heartache, grief, death, dying, a sense of seasons where you go, God, where are you? How are you to rejoice in the Lord during those times, right? And so I get that, man. And in no way am I trying to trivialize the, you know, the trials you may be experiencing, things you might be going through, the suffering that you're going through that's very real, or, the, or the, the paralyzing fear that some people go through, the anxieties that we go through really within the last two years. Okay, And the Bible is as real as it gets when it comes to these things. So I don't want to minimize those things. But if you can believe it, if you can believe that God desire is that joy be a dominant theme in your life, then man, I think our dispositions will change. I think our disposition for life will change. Let me give you a couple other vo uh, verses. God himself is our joy. Listen to Psalm 30, uh, 43, 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, my exceeding joy. Do you get that? The, not, it's not the altar of, that gives us the joy. It's the altar of God. And then he says, God is my exceeding joy. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. Listen to this. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I think there's just a couple little insights in these verses that I want to make clear before we get into kind of the last part and just some of the application and some of the things that our culture can throw at us. I want to make very clear that, man, it is God and God alone that we find our joy. And those two verses, we could go a ton of different verses, but those two uh, verses kind of explain the fact that, man, God is our exceeding joy, that, that when we go to God and the presence of God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So it's not just the things outside of God. It's not church. It's God in church, right? It's not going on a walk in the woods, which I love to do. Man, it's me going on a walk and finding God and seeking God in the woods, right? Okay, so those are the, the, that's what we're after. We're after God. We're not after substitutes. We're not after lowercase g's. We're not after lowercase gods. We're after the uppercase one and only God himself. So what I want to do is just kind of look at four problems, realities slash roadblocks to finding our joy in worship, okay, or, or choosing joy as an act of 
worship. There are four, and there's more than this, but these are kind of just the common ones uh, that we need to be aware of that are kind of prevalent today. And number one, number one, and there's two that I think we just often overlook, and this is one of them. Number one is that we are in a war, okay? There is a very real enemy after us. There's a very real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And his name is Satan, and he's got a bunch of demons, okay? Now, often in the West, we don't use that kind of language. We don't walk around thinking, you know, you're paying attention to the enemy or the lies of the enemy, all this stuff. But man, we have to realize that, man, the amount of times in Scripture, and I wish I had time to go over it, but the amount of times in Scripture that Jesus addressed demons, I mean, his ministry was described as, man, cast, the kingdom of God is casting out demons, healing the sick, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay, and if you read the scriptures, the amount of times that Jesus healed people, cast out demons, and when he finally sent out his disciple, it was like, cast out demons. Man, and the amount of times the scripture talks about principalities and powers, uh, it's overwhelming. But often in the West, we don't talk that way. We don't, aren't paying attention really. But man, I think a lot of us are under the weight or under the influence uh, of the enemy. And we need to realize that we're in a war and that we cannot be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. I have two verses for you. One of you is a really popular. One of you, I think, man, when I read this years ago, I was like, ooh, that's money. So the first one is 1 Peter 5.8. Most of you probably know this. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, so he prowls around. I would encourage you to get on YouTube. My kids do this, you know, they'll, Dad, you got to watch this video. And sometimes, every once in a while, it's this lion that attacks an animal. Man, we got to understand that as we walk throughout our days, that, man, there is a very real enemy that is waiting to pounce in our moments of weakness. Let me give you one, one example. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus gets done with his famous temptations by the devil, right? He goes out to the wilderness, he fasts, he prays. At his time of weakness, Satan comes with his three temptations. He resists all three. Check this often overlooked verse in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. When the devil had finished all his tempting, and here it is, he left him until an opportune time. Whoa. So it wasn't just that, hey, Jesus resisted, the devil left, and we, we go along with life. Man, he waited till an opportune time, right? So we have to understand that you might have seasons of success or whatever, you might have been having a great time, but it's that moment of lax. It's that moment of whatever. You give into a little temptation here or there that Satan goes, man, I'm going to feed that. Go now. And he sends his minions to come wreak havoc through lies, through temptation, through whatever. So we have to realize that we're in a war, but you also have to realize that, man, you have been given authority by God to stand up and resist the enemy. And I just want to encourage you, as we're in a warfare, man, you need to use your voice. 
Like as a people of God, we need to stand up. You need to get in your prayer closet. Man, if there's something going on with your kids or in your marriage or something, look, we have a tendency to look at the practical. I get it. We're Americans. I do it all the time. I tend to just want to fix it, especially as men, right? Want to look at something. Okay, how do I fix this? What's the medication? What's this? What's this? What's this? Whatever it is, what, what counseling session do we need to go to to fix our marriage? And that's all good. But man, I think sometimes we just need to say, hey, hold on, hold on a second here. There's something going on in the spiritual realm and I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray and I'm going to rebuke and, and, and maybe you need to get loud. One thing I love to do is go to the prayer room and I love to shut the door. Jesus talks about the prayer room. He talks about the secret place. And I think for some of us, if not a lot of us, we need to start doing warfare with the authority that God has given us and not to be afraid to raise your voice, not be afraid to get alone in some place, go out to a field where no one can see you and think you're crazy and just start renouncing lies, renouncing curses, renouncing, uh, you know, the demonic realm. I mean, why not, right? Give it a try, right? Give it a try. Second thing, sin. Sin will sabotage your joy. Sin will sabotage your joy. That, that should be common sense, right? We know that if we sin, okay, we know, I mean, you probably all experienced it, right? You choose to sin, you do something, you feel like, oh man, you just, whatever you were feeling before, it's like, ooh, you feel the weight of that sin. Ignatius of Loyola said this, an unwillingness, to, well, this is what his definition of sin was. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Fascinating. We sin because we think that action that we just chose will make us happy, okay? We think, man, I'm just going to choose to just indulge in this pornography a little bit, choose to indulge in a little bit of excess alcohol, whatever it might be. Man, we just choose to indulge in those things. No big deal. It's not that bad. It's not that much. Man, we're choosing those things because we think those things will give us more satisfaction and more happiness than God himself. Hmm, that is a deep thought. Now, what if the problem is not our desire to be happy, but it's that we look to happiness in all the wrong places, right? I mean, that's what Ignatius is, is dealing with right there, okay? We're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. In the Roman, and in the language of Romans chapter 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator himself okay again going back to that idea of man we don't want to serve lowercase g's we don't want to find happiness and joy in the lowercase gods we want to find it in the capital god okay so that one i think is pretty self-explanatory we all know that sin can sabotage us we just have to understand that man the uppercase g is where we find happiness and joy and that's okay we need to pursue that. Thirdly, circumstances. You can find yourself in circumstances that, honestly, you just need to get your eyes off the circumstances, right? Eyes off circumstance, okay? We have, coming up, a mandate to put masks back on. Ooh. I know, everybody collective sigh. Boo, right? No one wants to do that, right? So our circumstances are changing. Okay, does that mean our joy should be robbed or that we can't 
find joy in God. No, we can, and it should. We should not allow a, a mask mandate, whether you choose to follow it or not, you shouldn't allow that to decrease or diminish our joy. That should be a sign that, man, there's something off. Oh, I've got to wear a mask again when I go in here. That should not diminish our joy. Is it inconvenience? Yeah. Is it annoying? Yes. Do I want to do it? No. Will I do it? I don't know. That's up to you. <laughs> but it should not, our circumstances uh, should not dictate our joy. Fourth, our culture. Again, man, we can look, you know, I know that people have been talking about this for several years, but if we look at just the last election cycle, man, just the way our culture is going or not going, depending on where you're at, what your stance is, man, our culture and the things that have been going on, man, can rob our joy. I mean, how many, every single one of us watching, man, every single one of us has either experienced that lack of joy, our joy being robbed, or you've watched enough on the news or Facebook, whatever it is. I don't even need to say anymore, but this last two years, man has been a robber of joy. And we have the, again, the ability to look at our culture, look at circumstance and say, you know what? I'm going to choose to rejoice. Why? There's a lot of reasons, but one is for my own happiness. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean that for the glory of God, that, that God would be glorified through these things that are going on in our culture and our circumstance. That men, And then secondly, that, that people would see Jesus, that people would see Christ through us, that they would wonder like, why aren't we grumpy like everyone else? Why aren't we rebelling like everyone else? Why aren't we standing on a street corner like everyone else standing up? And I'm all for standing up for injustices done against people. But man, we cannot allow those things to supersede the joy and happiness that we should have in God. Amen? I hope I get an amen from your couch. Okay, lastly, lastly, it's not even really a, this is more of the remedy, and obviously this isn't a formula, but lastly, what I would say um, is this. That, and this is for me. This is, this is the way I'm wired. This is the way I love to do things. This is kind of, you know, if I look back to my time, um, you know, where I was kind of searching out what John Piper was pointing me to in the scripture. And as I read through scripture, uh, man, I was seeing just this theme of joy that like, oh man, given permission to be happy in God. Wow. Okay. How do I do that? man, I just started spending time with God. But one way, and those of you that know me, I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat myself. But one of the main ways for me was through worship, through song. Okay. Um, and man, I just feel, I just felt like, you know, as I was praying for this, I think there's some people, if not a lot of people, maybe your disposition isn't towards worship. Maybe you're one of those people that's like, ah, oh, I just, you know, I'm not a worshiper. I don't, you know, I come into worship and, and yeah, you know, okay, I don't you know, what are these people doing? They're raising their hands and, and whatnot. Man, I just encourage you that, man, I think there's some people that you just need to become a worshiper. You need to actually engage. You need to actually not just look at the screen, but start to engage with Jesus about what you're singing. That man, that, that, and I don't know how many times, how many times I have forced myself up to the prayer room or forced myself on a walk. Because again, my disposition is more, 
<sighs> more melancholy, more you know, laid back, more chill. I tend not to be excited. Um, but I don't know how many times I have forced myself to be like, you know what, Lord, I don't feel like worshiping, but I'm just going to submit to you and I'm going to just command my soul to worship. And I don't know how many times God has met me in those moments. I have walked into the prayer room or gone on a walk so many times, just ho-hum. And sometimes it happens really quickly. Sometimes it takes a while. But man, 90% of the time, man, I walk out of the prayer room, I come back home, and man, God has met me. I just feel filled up again. Okay, I feel filled and overflowing. I come back changed. Because, man, I just feel like, man, I, we just need to become people of worship. And God commands us to worship Him. And, and John Piper says this, that word, remember when, he, when I quoted earlier, praise the Lord, that's used 480 times. When God commands us to praise Him, He's commanding us to look at Him through, listen to this, through what He's revealed to us about Himself. Until we see some aspect of his glory that transcends the small or corrupt things clamoring for our attention right now. And that's what worship does for me. I think that's what it does for a lot of people. And I think that's what God wants to do for a lot of us is that what happens when we come into a sanctuary, you put on your headphones or you get in your car, your vehicle that man, you put on worship and it gets your eyes from here, no matter what it is, circumstance, culture, tragedy, whatever it is. And it gets our eyes up here and we're seeing, like he says, different aspects of the glory of God that man, we honestly just get lost in him. I don't know how many times that's just happened where everything else fades and I see God. And so I'm thankful for this command to worship and rejoice in Jesus, to rejoice in God. And so I think that remedy of worshiping God through song will dispel the enemy. It will dispel and get our eyes off our circumstances. It will get our eyes off what our culture's go, what culture has going on right now and everything that's going on in our world. Man, because God wants us to be people of joy. I'll leave you with this last quote to kind of summarize. This is a quote, man, that, that man has just been like foundational in my life. And if I could sum up what I'm saying in this, it kind of starts out in question form. Okay, you ready? Does God want you to be happy? Does God want you to be happy? Yes. The answer is yes. And here's the kicker. But it is a byproduct, not the prime product. Our prime product, like I read just in those two verses, that man, it is found in God. It's found in God's presence. And the byproduct of that is joy. You can be joyful, but you need to choose to worship Him. Go to Him. Delight in Him. Find pleasure in Him. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, I just pray for those right now 
God, I just pray that there would be right now, as people close their eyes, there would just be an experience of your presence, an experience of joy, that you would come in the living room right now and that you would wrap your arms around your people, Lord, and they would experience your joy, that we, over time, would become a people of joy, Lord. And so we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.